the market demand demands automa- automation and automation it's in every industry now and uh, it's arriving to architecture as well that was a small snippet from today's episode with our guest all the way from colombia nicolas ravicher torres and you guessed it right this is an episode all about computational design automation cybernetics and everything related to technology and architecture let me give you a brief about nicolas to give you some more context so he completed his bachelor of architecture from universidad de los andes in colombia in 2015 post which he went on to work for mad architects in beijing and also 3xn architects in copenhagen and he also pursued his masters in architecture and urbanism also known as the DRL program in Architectural Association London and he very recently joined Zahadid Architects in the computational team so uh, congrats to you Nicolas this episode is recorded prior to him joining Zahadid so just want to congratulate him and he also worked for for job code in Malmo Sweden so he's had quite a journey traveling across various countries and also exploring so much into computation so we are going to dive deep into the world of computation in this episode i surely learned a ton from interviewing nicolas and also built a new found passion for learning computational design because it seems to be the future and it seems to be where most of us are headed plus it's a great asset to your portfolio going forward so for more on the episode like podcast show notes i've written quite a lot for this episode in our show notes with relevant links so if you want to explore even more about computation then this podcast show note for this episode is the go to resource you can head to arkyan.com/slash 41 that's arkyan.com/slash 41 Now without further ado let's head to the episode dive deep into what computation is and hopefully by the end of the episode you too would get inspired to get into this awesome space let's go You're about to enter the Akyang podcast Akyang podcast India's first and very own architecture podcast where you'll hear the insights experiences and journeys from India's leading architects no matter what your skill level is together we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told now here's your host Manish Paul Simon All right. So before we get into software development and how you transition to that, um give us a brief background about yourself, where you're from and how you got into architecture. Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Colombia, so that's uh Colombia and South America. Nice. And um yeah, I studied architecture there at uh, the University of the Andes. Hmm. Uh it's funny because at first um I think I I didn't really have a clear idea why I was uh, going to study architecture. Mm-hmm. But what I I mean do remember back then is that I had the idea to develop let's say a more um equitative and properly designed social housing. So that right. was kind of my my intention. Um well, I still anyway, I still believe in that nowadays, of course. But that was kind of my uh yeah, my initial my initial uh yeah, dream of why to study architecture but i didn't really have um 
let's say uh, sorry the contacts or the network to make it happen no? um well yeah of course i mean my family i, I mean i'm i'm the only architect uh, nice. but um yeah but i don't think that actually really really matters but yeah you know i think when you're young you're kind of just exploring a little bit as well and um i think there's just you know there's a few people that kind of are born knowing what they're going to do right mm-hmm. um when i study this or yeah uh, which i think it's actually quite uh yeah i mean i think that's quite a privilege to have as well um so yeah i think my university as i think most undergraduate um architecture degrees in the you know in the world hmm. uh, of course is very very conservative so for example most of the teachers are only uh, concerned about modernism so that's as far as you get in the history of architecture hmm. but then of course they teach it as a very nostalgic as mm-hmm. that's the you know the one and only way and let's say the absolute truth so i remember we had a a one semester course on Le Corbusier. Okay. And um, it, it was, you know, the teacher was highly obsessed. And, <laughs> and sometimes she got so excited, which was also quite, quite beautiful to see anyway. Somebody mm. get excited and passionate about what they're doing. But she sometimes cried in class. <laughs> okay. So nice. That's, yeah, that's, let's wow. say, the level of, yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, you, uh, the approach to this design was, you know, very traditional. So you, you know, you had your drawing tools and teachers preferred students to, to mm-hmm. draw plans by hand. And of course you had to take the first, uh, levels of drawing courses. Mm-hmm. So the program was very, let's say history kind of theory driven, but of course until modernism and then purely, as they would say, based on, on design. Mm-hmm. So, of course, well, I think that's most architecture programs based on project experience. And that's how s- supposedly t- uh, students learn. Right. Yeah. You bring a project to the teacher and then the teacher sits down and with a piece of um, uh, how do you say this? Uh, See through paper. I forgot. Yeah. Butter sheets. We call it butter exactly. sheets. Here. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Butter sheets. And then the guy will critique your design, scribble here, scribble there with, you know, a red pen or whatever. And then you go back and redo everything, draw everything from scratch, right? Remake mm. your model, right? Um, mm. Especially in the first semesters when you don't, you know, maybe first semester when you're not yet so literate with uh, AutoCAD or, you know, laser cutting. Um, and then, of course, they don't teach there's no like AutoCAD course in that. Mm-hmm. I don't know now, but when, when I started, there wasn't any like really strong digital fundamentals. Mm. So they did, you know, because they didn't really promote it as well. So there was no AutoCAD courses, no Photoshop courses, um, you know, nothing. So but students. Don't you sorry? feel like uh, the biggest architects these days also come from that traditional background? Um, I don't know how, whether we need to change that system or maybe add on to that system. Yeah, well, I think if you want, we can dig in a little later on that topic, because I think it's very interesting to talk about like the architectural education as well. Hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely think it, it should change and it is changing, of course, not in, in every place. Hmm. There's a few few places that, of course, are changing this paradigm um, because then we will fall way behind, you know, as a profession. And yeah. Yeah, I actually have quite a my my quite a radical stance with this. 
So, yeah, for example, so in terms of, I mean, if students got interested in Rhino, for example, there, well, you had to learn it on your own. Hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> which is not a problem, but it would be nice if, if, you know, universities or let's say from more traditional countries like ours, I suppose, really try to catch up and hmm. and think how they're educating architects. And um, I think that's a very important so like I was always very kind of frustrated. Uh, so okay. <laughs> I, I remember I spent always long times in the library just roaming around in the architecture library. By the way, like we had a very good one. So I, that's a, a big bonus point. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I started to encounter like Rem Cool has, uh, mm-hmm. you know, more of the 90s people, Greg Lynn, for example, um, I remember I also started to bump in, and this was all casually, you know, mm-hmm. like Jonah Fried, Friedman, which uh, also yeah. was a great, great person. Um, but when did so, you like uh, pick up on the software, like since it was a traditional uh, course, right? Yeah, well, that's 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 the, what I'm beginning to to tell you. It was through these characters, you know, right, right. when I was list, roaming in the library and finding, uh, you know, Cool has his texts, mm-hmm. um, you know, or MVRDV. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, these are far away from what's now computational design, but they were people that were, you know, saying different things that I was getting taught in school, and I thought mm-hmm. it was extremely interesting. So one thing led me to another, you know, then I found Saha Hadid, for example. And so I was always very curious and I liked to read about the, you know, architectural theories of the 90s or hmm. uh, which, of course, were proposing a radically different model than modernism. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I slowly, just by curiosity, I started with with Rhino as well. Hmm. Um and actually, my first interaction with Grasshopper, there was actually this professor in the school, which was, uh, well, in our architecture department. And he, yeah, he for some reason also fiddled a little bit with Grasshopper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was probably the only one. Um, so he once did like, like try to do a Grasshopper course where I think it was like a very, very introductory course to Rhino mm-hmm. at night. It was really late, like at seven. So <laughs> kind of inconvenient. And then in one of the courses, he showed Grasshopper. And that was like, uh, when was that? Maybe like in uh, yeah, mid 2013. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what year, but probably mid 2013s, mm. I think, or early 2013s. And then I was like shocked, like, oh my God, what, what's this? You know, like, what's this okay. uh, connecting stuff? I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit. <laughs> so I got very overwhelmed, I remember. But then uh, after that, I said, you know, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, it looks it looks interesting. I think it's worth to try. And then I, I just started to pick it up. Um, of course, I, um, I will... I didn't know how to learn this. I mean, you kind of <laughs> yeah, there were like not many resources by, also, right? Well, yes, they were, but I don't, I didn't really know what the really what what I was really doing at the beginning mm. with this when I first encountered it, and um, so I kind of learned it in school, kind of in a messy in a messy manner, just mm-hmm. experimenting on projects. But I didn't. I wasn't there, really paying attention to the fundamentals of of what you need to know in order to really understand what's happening and what you're doing, right? 
Hmm. But at least I was kind of, you know, exploring and, you know, doing different things as well than my, you know, than the rest of my uh, friends and stuff like that. Of course, some teachers didn't really like it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, that's also the thing with architecture education, like you really, it's so subjective. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on how the teacher is, what he thinks. It's not like mathematics or a science where you have one answer. Of course, there's multiple ways of, of achieving the answer. it. Yeah. Exactly. But it's one answer, wrong or right. Right. So yeah. it's much more objective and that's, uh, you know, and with architecture is much more subjective. Um, well, well, art is much more subjective, but architecture also yeah. has, has that inside. Yeah, but we do have our set of constraints and all that, like a bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What you say, it's very important. And that's actually one big dis distinction between architecture and art, right? Yeah. We have actually physical constraints. We have structural constraints. We have environmental constraints. Uh, material constraints we don't want to waste so much material uh, tons of I mean it's a uh, complex uh, many variables to optimize for basically hmm. so you must have oriented your thesis also in the computational space right yeah I tried I, it was actually pretty crazy because I tried to do it was like kind of a, sc a skyscraper but I attempted to do like everything parametric parametrically modeled hmm, nice. so I I started from a point and then I tried to do like all the structure, every single beam. Like, uh, uh, and I tried to also like optimize the, the generation of the volume through Galapagos. I mean, hmm. looking back, it wasn't really like, of course, properly done because I was, you know, exploring the tool. But, I, uh, you know, I liked actually to try to parametrically model like, you know, a more complicated structure and actually getting it to work, uh, you know, in a pretty decent manner. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was pretty, pretty satisfying for me. Of course, like the script at the end was just a mess, a full of spaghetti wires and <laughs> All right. super, super slow to update. Hmm. So that, I mean, that was really, really annoying <laughs> that, that part. Um, uh, that it was, you know, you change something and edit, you know, the script is because probably it wasn't even properly properly written back mm. then you know that grasshopper script so crunching numbers and uh, waiting a couple of yeah i don't remember how much it was but you had to wait quite a quite a long time to to, to see the, the model update <laughs> awesome so i guess uh, post that you wanted to pursue further right on uh, this space and this uh, path yes i did um uh, yeah i mean i knew i was i didn't really want to fully uh, develop my professional career in Colombia. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So actually my big dream was always to do some, yeah, to go to famous offices, you know? Hmm. So I was always trying to go for OMA, for example, MBRDV, UN Studio, um, like- They have all their base in uh, Colombia? No, 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 of course not. Okay. So just, okay. no, I mean, they have, you know, I, I was gonna, I was applying to go to their home base, so you know, hmm. in Rotterdam, uh, Amsterdam, or you know, where, wherever these these offices were, because of course I was really interested in their theory back then and the work they were producing, and was very influential for me. So I really wanted to have that experience to work with 
you know, people that were in that kind of mindset, mm. right? So yeah, I eventually got in, uh, yeah, Mad Architects. Oh, nice. Uh, that was before, yeah, just before I graduated. I actually didn't even assist to my graduation. I said, I'm just gonna, you know, just go right away. Okay. <laughs> I was in January, I believe it was, of 2015. No, it's 2016, yeah, so at the beginning. And yeah, that was actually an internship um, mm. there. I uh, stayed there six, seven months, seven months. I don't remember properly right now. Um, yeah, it was it was a mind blowing experience there. Of course, I met people, architects from like, you know, different schools, which I really admired, nice. you know, like Cyarc or, you know, the AA or the Angevante, hmm. you know, people. So I was really I mean, I was full of adrenaline, you know, like really like a sponge. Um and you and got to work course, with uh, Mayan Song as well? Well, you know, he, he he's usually never at the office, but mm. I did actually, I was allowed to go to one of the meetings with him oh, uh, nice. to, actually, uh, to present actually a sketch I did for a competition. So I, I remember I was really hyped. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was pretty nice. But I, yeah, I mean, with these architects, you rarely get to speak to them properly, especially if you were, you know, mm. just an intern. It's more like senior project leaders or people that get to interact with them more. But he's, he's usually, well, at least when I was there, usually outside of, of the office traveling and, you know, giving lectures and, and all of that, that these these types of, uh, you know, architects nice. do usually. But they do play um, the key yeah. role in design, right? Like, uh, just want to get it just of what, what it's like working in MAD and all these big firms. Well, MAD is savage. I mean, there's three partners, right? Yusuke and then Chun. And mm. Maya and Song mm. and Yusuki is the one that basically, I, I don't know if I should say it this way, but he's the one that's staying in the office and actually kind of, uh, you know, doing the dirty work, let's say. Right, right. Um, you know, he's not really traveling so much, giving lectures. He's there like kind of like the design responsible inside. Mm. So basically Maya and Song just does the typical architect thing, which he sends some sketches, some really like just some squiggles. Mm. And then you have a whole uh, team of designers trying to sketch out what he sent in <laughs> Maya, right? Right. Or yeah, Maya, Rhino, depends, of course, on the, on the person. Mm. And then they upload this into WeChat, right, into the group. Mm-hmm. And then he just says, oh, this is crap. This is crap. <laughs> oh, I like this. Develop this further. Oh, I like this other option, develop it further, hmm. right? And then it's this continuous, like, in my opinion, very traditional process as, as well of design, very top-down, very, hmm. very traditional. Hmm. Of course, back then I didn't see it that way, but <laughs> and then, yeah, so that's kind of the process. And then Yusuki, the partner, also sits down and models and does proposals and, you know, he also shares the workload. Hmm. So I like to see it from you know, from a, from a senior, from a partner, especially because most partners, you know, they don't really sit down and also do these kinds of work, but Yusuke does. I don't know if he still does probably. Um, yeah. So, I mean, working hours were crazy. Like the office never closes. Oh shit. Basically 24 hours. You don't have weekends. Um, but I think it's also because of this model of working, right? Hmm. Um, it's very, iterative but not in a uh, not in a such a smart way um 
So they pushed the limit. So I remember, I mean, there was this endless competition and we were always changing at last, at last minute, everything. Hmm. So, you know, I spent a couple of 24 hour periods in the office. Other people spent 48 hours. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just had a bunch of passionate people, you know, passionate designers that just gave it all. They didn't care about weekends or anything. They just were there. Um, so yeah, it had an interesting environment. Like you totally just were consumed by it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. don't think anyone would have been like demotivated, uh, working for them because what they were doing was also a pretty, um, high end architecture, right? Because working, well, yeah, in a sense. working for like 24, 48 hours, uh, is like a bummer for a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, that, for me, my opinion, I think that's just, um, shouldn't happen. I mean, that's mm. in, inhumane and I mean, you, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there was also the period where I had a big transition in terms of using grasshopper, let's say mm-hmm. on parametric modeling. Uh, yeah, just to clarify back then, I didn't even know of the existence of, you know, of this proper concept computational design. I mean, for me, it was just parametric uh, hmm. modeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there was this guy there and he, I mean, back then I was really amazed because, uh, you know, he was the first grasshopper guy that I saw live that I was like, you know, amazed. I thought he was really talented. Hmm. So yeah, I, I learned actually a lot, a lot by him. So I polished up, uh, yeah, a lot of my skills there. I could also like, um, do some different proposals for project, like for facade panels or like analysis tools there. Hmm. Um, of course, like just to clarify back then, I mean, Mad is not, or wasn't, I'm not sure if now a very parametrically driven office. It's more like a very formal office. So it's just. Right. You know, you do the model in Maya, you transfer it to Rhino, and then you, you know, you do here and there a few like grasshopper tools, especially for facades. But it's not like a form finding office. You right. know, it's very right. formal. You do mm-hmm. the form and then you figure out how you squeeze in the correct areas, the correct, you know, apartment layouts. So, um, interesting. And I would say this is, well, this is quite typical for, for a lot of offices as well, but I think this is changing as well. Um, mm. I think this is a, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> so they didn't have um, their own BIM team then, I guess, right? No, no BIM team. Um, they had some CAD people, mm. but also in China, things work differently. I think you, all those drawings, again, I don't know if they've changed it since then, because that was, you know, four years ago, but, um, the offices are not responsible for doing construction documentation. So they, this is all done by a contractor. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, they don't have, they didn't have a BIM team. I guess maybe in LA they do, you mm. know, in these other offices they have, but not in, not in Beijing, not in the main headquarters. Um, so yeah, let's say it, yeah, lots of manual work, manual labor, time consuming, redoing things, remodeling, redrawing, re-rendering. So that's basically what was happening over there. Mm. Yeah. And then 3XN was very different. Of course, you know, you have the Nordic working culture, the office. I mean, it's beautiful as well. Um, so this was also an internship or was it like? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was, yeah, I was my, I was, I wanted to do internships before start starting the masters actually the mm-hmm. DRL. Cool. So yeah, so three XN was totally different experience actually. Um, actually, very talented people as well. Um, work life balance, you know, like very very different, and they do mm-hmm. very good architecture as well, in my opinion. So like that proves that you don't need to work 48 hours without stopping to make good architecture. Hmm. It just proves that sometimes architect, the architectural industry has bad staff management, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but 3XN is very good in this sense. And there I also met, an, you know, uh, another of the parametric designers of 3XN. And I also learned a lot, a lot from him. And then I also, I mean, quickly, my first project was a competition in nice. France. And then I had to do some facade proposals for a building. And I said, no way, I'm not going to do this by hand. This is insane. Okay. So that, you know, I just did, you know, the whole facade for that building myself, you know, in Grasshopper. And then after that, I basically became, yeah, uh, part of their computational team. Nice. Of course, I mean, not full time as I would like to do, but I was very involved as well and, you know, developing... I mean, 3XN mostly works on parametric uh, facade models as well. Hmm. So that's their main use of, of Grasshopper, at least when I was there. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was very gratifying. I worked uh, in this first competition in, in France, in Lille. Then I worked on a, uh, in a big competition project in Frankfurt, hmm. office building and housing building. Um, and how did you approach uh, uh, these competitions? Was it more of a collaborative approach? Yeah, at first, yes. So it's very inclusive. So everybody designs, you know, hmm. um, and that's, that's very nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's a whole team effort. They're very team driven, right? Hmm. And then, of course, at, later when, uh, you know, then the people that were, you know, more talented at Grasshopper will then, then take the, you know, the parametric part of the project. Hmm. And then, you know, other people took care of, uh, you know, the other parts. Um, and then after that, yeah, you and studio won that one. <laughs> okay. Um, also worked on a very nice competition, a concert hall in Munich. That was really nice. Um, and the renders yeah, are mainly, pretty amazing. Uh, I'm just looking at those in LinkedIn. Yeah. Did you do yeah, the renders yeah. as well? No, no, no. The 3XN has a, you know, they have their own team, team for rendering. Okay. Okay. But I was working on the hall. Um, yeah, so I did some scripts to like automatically place the chairs and then the people for, for the rendering guys, mm-hmm. like a very simple thing at the beginning for sightseeing as well. So you can, you know, like a very, that was actually my first C sharp component I did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have some special, uh, seating angles, mm-hmm. like sidelines you have to respect. So I quickly sketched like, uh, you know, a little component that let other people say, okay, like. If I do the stairs this height, I'm in trouble. So it was like quite a, you know, quite a quick evaluation tool for people as well to use. And then I also worked on the foyer, you know, the main hall. If you see the renders, okay, kind of foyer. like this yeah, yeah. wooden, yeah, um, wooden thing with some curved uh, yeah, yeah, things like, coming in. Up. Yeah, yeah. So I actually did that <laughs> that part. That was uh, oh wow, pretty cool and part of the interior hall as well. But did they uh, realize it as well? No, no, we lost. I mean, well, oh. we didn't lose, but we got fourth fourth place. Which, okay, uh, you and I Studio we, had won then. 
No, that was in Frankfurt. The one that won, I don't remember, but in my opinion, we should have won. Okay. The other ones were not so so yeah. so nice, in my own opinion. <laughs> but what's your take mm-hmm. on uh, architectural competitions? Like, um, is it is it biased or is it actually with uh, proper scrutiny that someone is selected for, as the winner? Uh, I'm not really sure, actually. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't say. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I think they try to be as unbiased as possible, but mm-hmm. uh, at the end, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure how. I think there's lots of criteria, like how expensive it it is, and all this all this stuff. Um, of course, the tastes of the juries, if they like the design or not, which is mm-hmm. again, as we said, subjective. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and actually in 3XN, I, I had a big transition in terms of computational design. Yeah, you mentioned C-sharp, right? Yeah, let's say there I kind of just emerged in me that I didn't really want to do like more of the, the traditional side of the work of an architect, which is lots of manual labor, redoing, redrawing, and, you know, I I, I felt kind of frustrated as well. You know, yeah, I a lot of us really, do. Yeah. So then back then I also started actually on my own time. Um, you know, I first started with, uh, yeah, between C sharp and Python actually. And it, hmm. in my opinion, it was quite messy. Hmm. Um, because again, like I was discovering my path, like, no, I they didn't have anybody like saying, Hey, come here and you know, code with me, I'll teach you or, or, hey, this is how some resources, no. So I was kind of like discovering my path and saying, okay, how can this be useful or how can I learn? So you really, there's actually a very good quote from from a person in MIT called Sid, Sidmund Papert. Hmm. And, you know, he always said like, you have to learn how to learn. And that's really key actually in, in, in everything that you're self-teaching yourself. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I started there. Um, let's say into this world of, of programming. Um, yeah. And then actually when I got to the DRL, maybe I'm, I jumped here ahead, but, uh, let's say I'll go back in time just for one moment. Like, well, I was also in Colombia and, you know, going back to, you know, reading about these nineties, uh, let's say quote unquote, yeah. Digital era in architecture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I began, I, I don't know how I actually remember how I came across the D- design research lab at the Ar- architectural association, but I came across their page and I was like, Oh my God, I don't know if you have seen it, Manish. Have you ever tried to log in? Uh, the DRL website? Yes. Yeah. We did have a guest uh, from DRL program. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Who, who was it actually? Maybe this is uh, Sushant Varma. He's, uh, the founder of rat lab studio. So he's, he's teaching okay. parametric stuff right now in India. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard about Red Lab Studio. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, I was amazed, you know, like, what are these robots? What are these things? Like, what the hell is happening? So I was, like, obsessed with this program, hmm. <laughs> blindly obsessed. So my idea was always to do this master's. Um, so, yeah, I mean, after I left 3XN, you know, I went back to Columbia a little bit. And then after that, I started on September. So I left 3XN in July. Hmm. Yes, July of 2017. Hope I'm missing no, it, it one says, day. No, it know. says May, May 2017. Ah, okay. Yeah, May 2017. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then 
uh, in September I started in the DRL and then there, yeah, it was another like hype moment, like boom, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, I really admired uh, Theodore Spiropoulos, for example. I mean, um, he's the director, you know, mm-hmm. Shajay Bouchan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, back then Patrick as well. I mean, I read the whole, his first volume <laughs> before starting. So oh, wow. which I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was very happy, right? Um, hmm. Very excited with, you know, to meet cool people, etc. Um, and then there also was the first time I had like a moment to concentrate on encoding, which was actually mm-hmm. one of my main outcomes in my head that I wanted to do. Like, I really want to dig in into this. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the DRL... I mean, yeah, you know, they teach people saying things. You have workshops to learn Maya, Rhino, Grasshopper. Uh, yeah, some, let's say some coding and all of this. But, it, you know, you really need to spend the time in it. I mean, I think mm. any tutorial is quite, quite, you know, it's very it's superficial. Like, you really need to spend time by yeah. yourself. Yeah, and you only learn when you actually start applying those methods or techniques or skills. Right? Yeah. And like a big thing to like clarify here is that the DRL, I mean, now, now I say it now, I mean, my mindset has changed a lot over the years. And I think, uh, yeah, is that, I mean, even though the DRL is an excellent program, if somebody's actually very interested in the computational side, like the technical aspects of coding, hmm. of course, the DRL is not that place because it's an architecture program, hmm. you know? So you have to design, of course you use these tools, but you're not, let's say technically focused on understanding really what these tools do. Hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's like an important point. But other than that, I mean, it's a, a great, a great program, great people, as I said. Um, yeah, there's a lot of focus on ideation, right? Yes. So there's, yeah. There's like a focus on uh, pr- trying to approach things in a different way. I mean, they have their own agenda each four years, they change. So now, for example, they have uh, the future of work, the future of culture and the future of living. Hmm. And they're all radically different studios in a sense. But, you know, they all the tutors share like some similar concepts for, of course, uh, to sustain the program. Hmm. Um, Patrick has his own ideas, of course, of what he thinks architecture is. Shaye, you know, he has some nice uh, ideas about co-living, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, affordable housing, mass uh, customization with, you know, uh, trying to simulate uh, these interactions in gaming environments. And then, you know, Theo has his own studio of trying to create, um, yeah, different types of emergent behavior through, yeah, modular robotics. I don't think if you wow. have to fight, if I say modular, describe his work as modular robotics, but yeah, mm. understanding architecture as, distri- as a distributed system, not like a, as a static building, but something that can change over time and adapt, right? That's, that's mm. basically, yeah. Um, yeah. So you guys so, were at a whole new level when uh, you joined DRL. Um, what do you mean by, by the whole new level? <laughs> like uh, compared to your traditional architecture course, right? I know, of course. I mean, any, uh, I mean, all, all, all people basically joining have the same, most people come from similar background. I would say most architects come from a similar background. For example, Shadye, um, uh, Shadye Bouchan, he also came from a very interesting background. And then, mm. 
just by coincidences of how life works, he just ended up, you know, later on digging into code and then hmm. doing what he's doing now. Um, yeah. So, for example, I mean, in terms of um, all this thing of software development, I mean, in the DRL, I became much more radical in terms of this. Hmm. Um, uh, then I really said, OK, this is actually what I would like to do. Right. Hmm. Hmm. As a, as a profession. Um, because I also became very interested in all the, the previous work that was done, you know, for example, after world war two, hmm. people like Alan Turing, right. Hmm. Uh, or yeah. John von Neumann were thinking a very different model towards computers and computation. They were interested in, and in seeing, for example, um, how like, why, for example, a sunflower or, or how it does a flower grow from a seed, right? Mm -hmm. So then, for example, Alan Turing did like this famous paper on called morphogenesis, where he was actually trying to derive like say a mathematical model for how things emerge in nature, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was all very interconnected, like AI is not new, it's like these people started to think about it in the 40s. Yeah. For example, when Alan Turing joined the Bell Labs, he met uh, Cloud Shannon, hmm. and then they started there to think, how can a computer think? How can a computer learn to derive patterns, right? Because they were in, in the Bell Labs, they were interested in cutting um, noise, hmm. you know, from signals. Yeah. So they were training, thinking about this back then. So this was a huge revolution, right? And then the MIT started to pioneer, you know, they, they headed the uh, MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab, um, you know, with uh, the, Marvin Minsky was the one that founded this. So, I mean, I was very, very interested in, in uh, you know, in all these characters. Mm. So, I mean, so, yeah, I, I started to really be interested, let's say, in the technical part of programming, but mm. also in the theoretical part of programming. So a lot of math as well. Yes, of course. Like, I knew... Like if once you start actually digging in, hmm. I mean, there's various levels that you can engage with a machine, right? You have the visual programming level, hmm. which is the most, let's say, uh, superficial level where you can engage with, with this. Mm, that's why I, I don't really like to hear this term, but they say like, yeah, visual programming is for designers. Like, yeah. okay, uh, well, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of a, uh, yeah. But at least a start for us, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't really agree with that, <laughs> okay. but I will, yeah, I will tell you that then that comes back to my idea on education and architecture, but yeah. So then you have, of course, when, once you start writing text, actual code, hmm. then you really need to pay attention to details. And then, of course, as architects, we worked in the world of geometry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you need to really understand, for example, at least in a superficial level, vector mathematics, hmm. right? Yeah, coordinates and all that jazz. Geometry, planes, um, right? At least so you understand, for example, why do you need a plane to define, you know, in Grasshopper, you know, you can derive planes from points, yeah. right? And, and then you can, for example, place objects yeah. in, 
you know, in the plane, but then if the plane fall, you know, it follows a curvature of a surface, then you have mm. the normal vector, which is the c-axis of the plane, et cetera, et cetera. So just you begin to understand how, you know, kind of the world of computational geometry works. And then, of course, if you begin to get more and more and more interested in this, well, then you need to brush up, of course, in algebra, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, which actually that's... Going back um, to school as well. Actually, right now I'm relearning a lot of this stuff. Hmm. Um, I'm also getting, I mean, close to, to entering calculus again. Nice. Because I need to, you really need to refresh and I think learn everything with a, with a new perspective. Um, and kind of actually conscious on, you know, on, well, actually on the beauty of mathematics as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you really need to put a lot of time. I mean, it's not like you watch a tutorial mm. on a Saturday and then you're like a, a coder. No, it's <laughs> not like that. I mean, yeah. it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of passion. It takes a lot of, um, yeah, curiosity as well. Um, I mean, mathematics is people that say you don't, you don't need mathematics to code. I, I don't agree. You do need it mm. because it's ma- computers are constructed on logic right mm-hmm. um and um on mathematics as well so that's how programming languages work right your logical sequences of instructions which you type and a computer executes it but how much um, of uh, since you're still we are still in the architecture field right how much of overlap do you feel is there between um coding math and architecture Mm. Well, for example, in terms of people that they're doing more of a, let's say, computational design kind of part, of course, the overlap is, um, uh, I mean, it, it, all of it is an overlap, again, because you're yeah, dealing with geometrical problems, right? Yeah. So then if you have a geometrical problem, you need to know, for example, uh, for example, the dot products and the cross products are very useful in a lot of these uh, situations. So, um, uh, you know, it's an example. For example, if you have a polygon and then you have you want to find if a point is inside a polygon, well, a cross product and, for example, a vector projection to one of the lines hmm. will tell you if the point is inside or outside, for example. Mm-hmm. So you really need to you know, to start to understand these things. Of course, Grasshopper has these components, but if you really need someday to code your own routine or you're just curious of what the, you know, why why do I need a dot product or a cross product, for example, hmm. in terms of a computational geometry problem, they'll, you know, then you'll start to think about these, um, you know, these things. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So what did uh, you research on uh, when you were... Uh, part of the DRL program. Yeah, well, we had uh, actually we did yeah like a distributed robotics that was in the air. <laughs> so we actually developed it was like some helium-based drones. Um, so yeah, we had like some machine learning model there to you know make the thing learn how to fly. So that was made in Unity, and then we had um, all the population logic, like how these things become like a super organism, how these things come together, how these things redistribute themselves, which was more of the, of the part, uh, I worked on. So, yeah. Um, so the idea wasn't like an air-based architecture that could always 
constantly reconfigure and redistribute itself in the city and could, you know, in, uh, interact with people and in a different way and all of this. That was basically the and the short uh, story of our of our project. I, I have some videos of this in Vimeo and all of that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the robot also was pretty exciting. Yep. And, mo- um, and most of it, do you feel is like uh, futuristic or? Uh... Mm. Well, no, not really. As I said, I mean, <laughs> all of these people were thinking about it many, many years ago. Hmm. So, and, I mean, in the forties, I mean, as I said, after the world war two, they, there was this movement, uh, cybernetics. And then they were also thinking about how can, about machines in a different way, also like biological entities, how can, you know, like kind of to model, to understand life processes mm. through machines, for example, or, uh, yeah, or computational assemblages of these machines through simple rules, right, of mm. interaction and all of this. So, yeah, it's not new. It looks new, of course, because now computers are cheaper and everything is uh, much more accessible. So that's why everything looks new today, AI, and everybody's doing, uh, you know, machine learning. But um, it's not novel. But we're just, we we can work through these problems because we have the technologies now to do so. Before, it was much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, this is my personal opinion. I feel that as an architect, uh, we do need to really pick up on these skills because we are more effective and uh, we have more value, right? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. I mean, I think it's just a personal personal approach. I mean, it's it's very hard to say. I mean, you cannot be like you cannot be like a Patrick Schumacher saying like, oh, parametricism is the only way out and this is the new style. I mean, mm. no. Right? And you cannot say like architects that don't code, they're doomed. That's not I mean shouldn't be like this. I mean, of course, I think anybody should learn how to code, right? Yeah, but don't you feel like a lot of that uh, entry-level work would get automated or, uh, you know, uh, because of uh, these coders that uh, we have less work as an architect? Yes, I mean, that's true. Of course, like, let's say the market demands automation and automation, it's in every industry now and uh, it's arriving to architecture as well. Um, so yes, I mean, of course you will need to, I mean, that's one part of computational design or let's say computation to automate things and tasks. Mm. Um, but then there's an also another part of, which is trying to maybe find a new way to approach problems, which is not then so easily described. So for example, new algorithms yeah. or to adapt, for example, algorithms from computer science into an architectural problem. You know, that's, that's, I think that's at least the part where I'm more interested in, in computation, like automating task. Yeah. is a part of it, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it, 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 it's also dull. I mean, it's not the only, the only end. And of course, you do need it because if you automate repetitive tasks, then architects can be more happy and 
you know, and put their hands on and other, other problems. Hmm. But, um, in my opinion, it's not, it should not be seen only for automation as well because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's also a problem, right? Like a lot of us think that it's only uh, restricted to automation, but it goes much beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes much, much beyond. I mean, there's many, you know, interesting people saying, for example, it's uh, not only about BIM, for example, uh, this other interesting article as well, actually was more of a critique by Daniel Davis, I think it was, I don't know if you saw it, hmm. criticizing the general, like, misuse of um generative design and mm-hmm. all you know all, all yeah, the implications yeah. so you know uh, there's interesting uh, positions there's that we need there's people also being critical we need this um but of course as you said uh Architects, yeah, it would be good if there are more architects that are interested in this part. But then, of course, education has also to change. Hmm. It cannot be so conservative. If it was me, like, you know, engineers in my school, every engineer has to take two levels of programming, two semesters. Hmm. Architects should do the same. Architects should have to take also the same levels of calculus as an engineer in university. There shouldn't be like courses like physics for architects like what kind of (laughs) ridiculous thing is this you know there's Mm. no physics for architects it's physics there's no mathematics for architects it's mathematics you know what i mean Mm. um yeah so yeah in general i think just people should learn how to code children as well i mean um, it's kind of you know learning it's like reading and writing it's going to be part of of, you know of of the future to learn how you know to understand how the world works you know Uh, everything goes through machines and uh, otherwise i think you kind of fall behind right um you have to be able to understand how how technology works and that level as well. So you can be, you know, technically literate, but also then you could be philosophically or intellectually more critical as well of mm-hmm. where technology is going. And that's very important. You know, I like it's for me, it's shocking when I see like a six year old kid texting in an iPhone, you know what I mean? What's this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's because of lack of technological education intellectually. And yeah, perhaps I like to fit in the the technical part. Like if these kids were learning how to code, they will engage with technology in a different way. Maybe we're going to try to develop an app for iPhone or some cool game. And going back to Sigmund Papert, he actually developed, uh, when was this? I actually wrote this down. Um, huh, I didn't write the date. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> But I think, yeah, I don't remember the date, but it, it wasn't so long ago. I think in the 90s. But he developed a language programming language called Logo. Hmm. And the goal of this was to improve how children think and solve problems through coding, for example. And he was very interested in this. Mm-hmm. So he was a computer scientist, a mathematician, and he was the head of the MIT AI department. Right. And his special research was on learning theories, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, so I, 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 you know, I love Seymour Papert and, you know, I think this is a very interesting approach and I think it should be really, you know, applied just 
to a whole system of education to architects to you know small kids yeah and talking about uh, ai and machine learning uh, there's not much uh, which has been developed in the for the architecture profession right yeah i mean it's very very uh, i think this is still kind of even though it was 80 years ago being thought still we're still struggling with this because it's a very complicated problem again architects um we're not trained as engineers so it's very difficult to engage with machine learning models and the appropriate way like i think either we start to change again how we are educated but in the meantime we also need to seek help from you know engineers that are specialized in this like not even computer scientists that graduate they all pursue that path because it's difficult it's hardcore yeah that's why their salaries are like 140,000 pounds a year you know yeah. it's because it's hardcore stuff and i think I personally think that sometimes architects can be a little irresponsible on how they're using it i mean we're using it as a black box and then there's so many new algorithms on machine learning so many new you know uh, even developing a neural net is very complicated. You know, what's the structure of your neural network to solve a problem? Hmm. Of course, like in image recognition and number recognition, like that's an age old problem. You already have the neural net structure out of the box. But if you have like a more complicated problem that nobody has done, how, how in the world an architect will be able to, it's impossible, you know? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, one work that I did like was of Stanislas, which has been a boom in social media. I think he made a very interesting contribution with Gans. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he did obviously did not code anything from scratch. I mean, you know, he probably un understood it sufficiently to compile different, you know, uh, I don't know what he used of Keras or PyTorch or TensorFlow, but hmm. properly compile different different, uh, you know, gun packages together and did produce an interesting piece of work, right? Very interesting piece of work that got him, you know, uh, far as now. And, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I think that machine learning, um, yeah, it's a field we're exploring in all disciplines as well. I mean, not, not only architecture, um, but I think as architects, we do need to engage in mathematics in a more rigorous way, in a more deep way to, I think, to really grasp what this really actually even means, right? Machine yeah. learning, a machine that learns and doesn't solve a problem, a problem explicitly, like a programmer doesn't tell it to do this. It learns how to do it through data, right? Yeah. That's a different way. Yeah, I actually like the work of, uh, I don't know if you heard of this person called Rafik Anadol. He does, uses AI to generate art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rafik yeah, does very interesting stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the best part about getting into the space as an architect is uh, some lot of architects don't really stick on to architecture. They move on to, uh, some some of them have joined Boston Dynamics and uh, NASA and uh, they j move on to other fields as well, right? Even especially in the automobile industry and working for Tesla and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's something I would love to do, you know. I would love to jump jump outside of my industry one day. Hmm. Um, because I think once you start coding and once you start to understand at least 
I mean, depends what you're going to do. But if you're going to jump in in another industry doing computer graphic things, well, that's universal. It's not meshes are meshes, right? Hmm. There's not meshes for architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you can apply the same principles in any in any mesh and any NURBS surface. You can you know code in any computer. You don't need a ruler or <laughs> so. Um, so yeah. So for example, in terms of a transition to a software developer, um, I like to be self-critical with this. Hmm. Because there's, I mean, computer science is a four years degree for a reason, right? Like you cannot just teach yourself computer science on Hmm. your own time. Hmm. Like you will take more than four years if you really try to follow strictly a a curriculum, right? Yeah. Um, And software development has many different aspects, many branches. There's web development and, you know, mobile development there's machine learning there's like tons of stuff apis there's new apis all the time new frameworks how to hook up stuff for example with any type of cloud services it's vast you could never like it's uh it's insane and also formally there's two very important courses i would say or i think they have two modules of this in computer science which is a data structures and algorithms course and then they have, they have like a more advanced version of this hmm. and that's critical, you know, like if you really intend to uh, <laughs> at least jump industry, you need to know these two subjects hmm. because what happens if you are in a technical interview and they say, okay, you, this is your problem. How will you solve it? If you, if, if you try the brute force approach, okay, cool. But then they will say, how can you make it faster? You have. Oh, by the way, this is your memory limitation. Hmm. This is a time limitation. How would you do it? And then, you know, mostly you're in a whiteboard with a marker and you don't even have a text editor. You have to like know the concepts to write down like a pseudocode on the blackboard and respond to any type of questions these people may ask. Hmm. And you have to understand this in a way that your solution seems technically agile to them right yeah so i would say that architects that code in the industry i think very very few are kind of at at the level of a proper software developer yeah i mean of course i include myself i mean i'm always trying to learn man i'm (laughs) every day i'm i'm actually studying right studying right now from uh algorithms and data structures book Oh, it's nice. very complicated. Do you do even online, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, massive online courses like MOOCs or uh, uh, learning from Coursera or edX? Yeah, well, right now I'm actually doing all my mathematics from Khan Academy because it's free. Okay. I downloaded uh, a, uh, this algorithms and data structures book from an MIT course. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a plan next year. I mean, my this year my plan is to do you know finish calculus and linear algebra, wow. and then next year I want to do a Coursera course on yeah, I'm just on machine learning by by curiosity. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of uh, like courses I plan I plan to do, but I just have to take it step by step. Hmm. So first, for example, for me, it's doing this mathematics is essential, right? Hmm. And um, yeah, and to the side like taking these computer science textbooks and understand how, you know, people are trained in this curriculum because then you become, of course, a much better programmer. 
mm-hmm. if you know how to efficiently write an algorithm or how to understand, for example, the running time of an algorithm, then you understand why programs are so slow or why that script is so slow, you know? Um, and there are techniques that have been developed through years that, of course, they, you know, they have to teach and it's like, they're the, the first basic courses of this computer science degree. So if somebody's gonna try to really make the transition to write code, it's something they really need to try to make the effort to understand. Um, I mean, it depends on the individual, of course, Manish, because if you're already like in a, in a leader position and you're leading a team, well, you're already, you know, well, it's uh, maybe you don't have to put so much effort on it because you, you know, you're already maybe in that uh, position of being more like a team leader. Hmm. Just depends individually what you, you're trying to do, your own interests as well. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure like you're, you're not doing uh, coding and learning all the time, right? You still do party on the weekends and all that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at least one at least one one day in a week. But I mean, mostly like my daily routine, you know, I wake up. I mean, almost every day I, I try actually to wake up. I wake up at six hmm. and then, you know, I do my mathematics, right? Hmm. I go to work. I come from work. I go to the gym. I go, <laughs> after the gym, I you know do some coding. Um, it can be sometimes messy, you know. Sometimes I do my um, you know my linear, uh, sorry, my uh, algorithms and data structures book and some exercises. Or sometimes I do like side projects that I'm doing on my own, or mm. just to keep like like an athlete, you know, an athlete needs to to keep training. <laughs> So it's the same with, with programming, like you just cannot stop. And as I said, there's so many things to learn, you know, like you just cannot, you cannot stop learning. Um, especially if you're like a self-taught programmer, Hmm. you have to keep your, your head on the game. (laughs) All right. And how much of a hand do you have in BIM? Because I'm sure like the present firm which you work for also includes a lot of uh, BIM workflows and all that, right? Yes, Manish, they, that, the office is totally BIM driven. They're actually super organized with their BIM. They do everything in BIM. Um, they have very skilled people on BIM as well. Yeah, this is Fojab um, for the listeners. Fojab, right? Yes, Fojab Architects, exactly. Okay. It's funny, Manish, because I, I don't know Revit, hmm. but I know how to code in Revit. <laughs> awesome. Which is, yeah, kind of contradictory. Probably if somebody listens to this will think I'm crazy. <laughs> Not nonsense. How can he code in Revit without learning, knowing mm-hmm. how to model in Revit? Mm-hmm. But actually the first time I encountered with the Revit API was in, um, in Foyab. They said, hey, look, we want to start doing more BIM work with our computational design team. Mm-hmm. And here's a Revit book. Boom. 600-page uh, Revit book from <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. So I just skimmed through it, blah, you know, read some, just quickly some brief concepts. And then I went over to the, you know, where they had the API section and then, mm. okay. Uh, then I just checked the web page as well. And then I, I studied the API and mm. then I kind of, by studying the API, I kind of learned, I will say lightly, maybe how Revit, well, at least I learned how Revit works behind the scenes. Mm. Right. So I kind of reversed engineer uh, Revit, I, I mean, I, I'm not in, I mean, if you put me how to model something and, you know, manually and try to 
click this and the shortcut, I wouldn't know. But if you tell me, hey, I need to program this to do this, I'll say, okay, I, I could, I know how to navigate my way in the API. I know how to program. I will, I can do it, right? Hmm. Of course, depends on the comp- on the problem. Like if it's overly complex, will you s- need to think, stop, and really think? But it's something more like for automation, like you know, you, you it's uh, yeah, you kind of know right away uh, almost how to do it. Of course, you need to plan and everything, but. Yeah, so I yeah, think that's, that's interesting because uh, having a background in software it ha- enables you to pick up on all uh, Dynamo or PyRevit pretty easily, right? Yeah, exactly. And for example, I really also enjoy doing my own Dynamo nodes. Again, I mean, it's C Sharp. I do it in C Sharp. I mean, I, I stopped Python a long time ago. I don't like Python, actually. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I do them in C Sharp and Visual Studio. Hmm. Um, you know, right now I'm actually working on a side project where I'm connecting... Uh, well, I'm putting up together quickly some pieces of code, but I'm transferring geometry from Grasshopper to Dynamo. So I'm mm-hmm. converting them. You know, Grasshopper has their own re- geometry types, mm-hmm. right? And then Dynamo has their own geometry type. So I'm doing like uh, some conversions right now. So, for example, right now I'm transferring meshes. So I'm converting Rhino meshes to Dynamo meshes, nice. for example. Um, of course, point clouds uh, are the easiest thing for or NURBS, NURBS curves from software to another one. And the nice thing is that, you know, you can transfer a mesh to Dynamo and then it's a Dynamo mesh. So you can manipulate it there. Yeah. And then after that, you can push it back to Grasshopper and then you can it's Grasshopper geometry and you can keep doing whatever you need to do there, for example. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, my intention, it's, you know, you can you'd hook it up to Revit, to Dynamo, to Unity. Um, yeah, I kind of, I mean, the long project is do like a web API so you can like send your data to the cloud and do some operations yeah. and then get your data back in whatever format you need. So it's kind of like, um, um, you know, it's like a standalone library that communicates with different packages. Um, that's, uh, that's the, what I'm playing around with. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh. Yeah, once you know how to, oops, sorry, once you know how, you, how to program, <clears throat> you can quickly, you know, go into Unity, for example, or yeah, pick up on on, on any other programming language, JavaScript, and if you want to do some web development, at least, um, uh, yeah. So I think it's a, I mean, a really nice thing. You're like flexible. You're not like bound to one thing. Are you also into uh, web de- development as a full stack developer or something along those lines? Um, I want to get into it. I mean, more, not so much on doing web pages, but I would really like to learn how to do proper web APIs. Hmm. That's actually one of my projects. I mean, I don't know how I will have time to do all of this. <laughs> But yeah, I would really like to to get into into that part. I would love to also learn how to do mobile development as well. Android, for example, mm. would be would be cool. Um, yeah, that's definitely something I would really really like to to try out. Um, awesome. Yeah, I think uh, Nicholas, that was a pretty deep uh, session that we had. A lot of interesting topics and a lot of technical jargon. Um, I'm going to uh, try linking most of it and like put up your work and also the people you spoke about. 
um yeah. yeah there it there would be few listeners who would be like really interested in the space but haven't yet started on this journey right and most of them might be from architecture school as well so what advice would you give to these guys um be very curious always um be yeah just do what you like um if, and just try to dig in go as deep as you can right if you like to hand sketch become a the best hand sketcher you you want to become if you're interested in computational design as it's what's called in architecture well start right immerse yourself go straight into the ocean don't put your feet on the top first just go deep hmm. dive in 100 meters right away go for yeah. it and i think the most important is to just be interested in, in something and, and go for it and, and see where life takes you with it. And yeah. Yeah. There's this uh, meme where uh, they show a mountain on the sea and then the top of the mountain is only 10%, but beneath the sea, it's like 90%, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, yeah, Nicholas, I, I wish I could have you for a longer time, but I, I'm, I'm sure like you're pretty busy with your day and, uh, you're a pretty busy guy and you have so much to learn as well. So we'll quickly jump to the quick fire round and then I'll let you go. Perfect. All right. So, uh, which book has inspired you the most? Okay. I'll say three books. <laughs> All right. Sure. One called Emergence hmm. by Steven Johnson. Hmm. Uh, fascinating. The other one is called Allure of Machinic Life by John Johnston. Okay. Um, and the third one that I really liked was The Blind Watchmaker by Richard Dawkins. Awesome. All right. Oh, pretty, uh, most of it is more related to technology and uh, yeah, towards creativity yeah. in a way. Yeah. Well, actually, there's another one that I'm reading very slowly that's called The Great War for Con um, Civilization. So it tells you all the the modern history of the conflict in the Middle East and, you know, the Western world. So <laughs> that one I would also recommend. All right. Um, I'm sure you're like uh, watching a lot of interesting movies. So which movies would you consider your favorite? Oh my God. Actually, I haven't watched the movie in a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, can I actually, can I change it to series? <laughs> yeah, sure. You watch a lot of um, Netflix, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I was, I was really obsessed with Vikings. I really like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And also Black Mirror. Oh Both man, I knew you were going to say Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Vikings, man, it's oh my god, I'm really obsessed with it. I hope they release the final half of season six soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you do you think that uh, we'd approach uh, most of Black Mirror by the end of the century? Ah man, I have no idea. I mean. For a lot of Black Mirror stuff is quite true now, like the social media episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not so radical now, but it's kind of true. Instagram is, you know, kind of like that. <laughs> and uh, what's your take on AGI, which is uh, artificial intelligence with conscience? Artificial intelligence with consciousness? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think it's... Uh, but what do you mean with consciousness? <laughs> um, like how humans, we have consciousness, eh? we, we can think and uh, we make sense of things. 
so there is ai and there's there's mm-hmm. agi so they say that uh, agi would become a possibility by the end of the century yeah well i mean i think that topic of consciousness is super complicated i mean there has been lots of philosophical uh, actually writings about this um yeah i mean i wouldn't say i mean you can even ask if an ant is conscious or not right mm. i mean i don't think consciousness only belongs to humans that's mm. the only that that's how i will answer the question <laughs> but uh, you're not like uh scared of robots coming and replacing us or apprehensive of what would happen in the future right you're more optimistic right well yeah i'm more i'm half and half i mean i'm more scared of machine learning being used in a as a in a bad way so for example to generate fake news right, to generate right. fake information it's already happening that's what makes me scared on privacy violations on hardcore surveillance china is already using this in a very nasty way london is full of security cameras everywhere yeah um you know like cambridge analytica what happened with this uh, you know they tilted presidential campaigns yeah. they influenced brexit they made trump you know heavily influenced the trump campaign that's what i'm really really scared of hmm. i mean the rest of robots or machines doing other stuff that we shouldn't do like that has been i know that's many examples in history etc but i think this is the most pressing pressing manner that really makes me super worried all right uh what type of music do you listen to or what what do you generally listen to oh well that's quite a mix um <laughs> uh, sometimes some electronic um or depends on my mood but for example when i like to code i generally like to to listen to uh yeah different types of electronic music which um, one's your favorite let me let me give you some names so so for example martin roth okay it's pretty cool alif is pretty cool for example mm-hmm. uh nicolas jar from chile mm-hmm. nice. christian loffler <laughs> oh yeah, I listened to his yeah a bit. Yeah. Um yeah, or Jimi Hendrix or Rolling Stones or maybe some, you know, more Latin music but not generally when I'm working. Hmm. Um <laughs> And you I'm go for like uh, uh these uh, techno like Tomorrowland type uh, events in Sweden? No, in fact, no. You know, I'm not so I'm more like of a listener to techno because generally like those techno parties I'm you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of heavy, you know, it's always full of drugs and all of this. I've never been so much of a, uh, you know, of a drug, uh, <laughs> consumer. All right. So yeah, for parties, I actually prefer more like Latin, Latin music actually Okay. <laughs> to dance. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, which city would you, you consider your favorite considering you've been to so many cities, right? Yeah. London. London by far is my favorite city. All right. And uh yeah, I think I already asked you about you already did mention about your daily routine. So my mm-hmm. last question to you would be like where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Manish, that's a scary question. <laughs> I have no no idea, man. I hope I hope I will be somewhere interesting. I hope I will be alive. I hope I will be healthy. Um 
yeah, and I hope I will be yeah doing something or trying to do something meaningful. And I hope I will be also surrounded by much, much, much smarter people than myself, so I can learn from them and just in a nice, nice environment. Awesome. That's well, what I hope. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure. I, I'm sure we'll have have you again ten years from now, and then uh, discuss, <laughs> <laughs> discuss like what you're up to then. If the world hasn't ended, no, I'm joking. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Nicholas. I think that was, uh, I personally learned a lot from that session. Thanks a lot for coming to taking your time out and coming to the podcast. Um, what's the best way our listeners could get in touch in case they would like to reach out to you? Well, LinkedIn, um, yeah, any, any, um, any accounts. I mean, I don't know which, what information you will put, but, uh, I mean, Vimeo or LinkedIn or Instagram or, yeah, I don't have Twitter. I think I should also get one. Yeah, I think you should yeah. get into Twitter. You can just reach out. Of, yeah, a lot of uh, interesting people on Twitter. And they're pretty active. Too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's hard because, you know, like it becomes another distraction. So hmm. looking at Twitter and la la la. But yeah, no, definitely. There's super active. And I, I mean, I, I think about that. I should do it. I should do it. Thanks for listening to the Ah Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to archeon.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review. You know, I don't like to advertise a lot. I like to just provide high value and I want to do that all the time. So I've created a course for you guys and it also helps me in running the show. It's called the Complete SketchUp and V-Ray course for interior design. I'm also creating more courses and would be coming up in a few months time. So if you want access to the course with a 95% discount, head to arkgyan.com slash discount. And thanks for tuning in this long i mean it's awesome you stayed even after the outro usually people leave but this is for you since you stayed a 95 percent discount just head to arkyan.com slash discount and it'll revert you to the udemy website hope you find the course useful i hope you found this podcast episode useful and awesome also head to our show notes if you want to explore more about computation which is arkyan.com slash 41 i'll see you in the next episode this is your host Manish Paul Simon, a.k.a. Kobe, signing off. Cheers.